2 Kings 20, verses 1 through 11. These are the words of the living God. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die. You shall not recover. And Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Now, O Lord, please remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart, and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And before Isaiah had gone out of the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him, Turn back and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. On the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord, and I will add fifteen years to your life. I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. And Isaiah said, Bring a cake of figs and let them take and lay it on the boil that he may recover. And Hezekiah said to Isaiah, What shall be the sign that the Lord will heal me and that I shall go up to the house of the Lord on the third day? And Isaiah said, This shall be the sign to you from the Lord that the Lord will do the thing that he has promised. Shall the shadow go forward ten steps or go back ten steps? And Hezekiah answered, It is an easy thing for the shadow to lengthen ten steps. Rather, let the shadow go back ten steps. And Isaiah the prophet called to the Lord, and he brought the shadow back ten steps by which it had gone down on the steps of Ahaz. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would give me grace this morning to preach your word, to preach it faithfully. I pray that you would give us ears to hear, that you would remove any distractions from this church, that you would come wonderfully by your spirit and work in our midst to change us, to strengthen us, to renew us, and to give us a word of encouragement that I think we all need. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, last week we finished up by looking at the uh, restoration of Israel under the ministry of Elijah. And if you remember at this point in Israel's history, the kingdom is split into two, the northern and the southern kingdom. And the northern kingdom was led into great idolatries uh, at the leadership of Jeroboam. And within 60 years, Baalism is being uh, made the state religion. And this is what Elijah comes to confront during his ministry. And through the reforms of prophets like Elijah and Elisha and men like Jehu, some real progress was made. But sadly enough, Israel went back into their idolatries and tried to mix the worship of the one true God with other gods. And this is essentially what we see throughout the book of Kings. And last week we talked about the dangers of pluralism, this idea that you can worship more than one God uh, consistently, and the foolishness and absurdity of thinking that you can do so. But today we turn to the story of a king who obeyed the Lord, his God. This is a king in the south by the name of Hezekiah. So last week we were focusing on the north, now we are focusing on the southern kingdom. And Hezekiah, uh, we are told... Uh, is a righteous king. Uh, 
He did what is right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David, his father, had done. Okay, Hezekiah is a reformer like David. He restores proper worship in Jerusalem, and he fights the enemies of God for them. Listen to what the Scripture says about this man. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him, for he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses, and the Lord was with him wherever he went out, he prospered. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and would not serve him. He struck down the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory, from watchtower to fortified city. So here we have a man who is at the exact opposite end of the spectrum from King Ahab, who we talked about last week. King Ahab had done more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to jealousy than any king who was before him, and he led Israel into great idolatries. And here, this man Hezekiah does just the opposite. Now, for a little bit of history, in 722 BC, the northern kingdom uh, was conquered by the Assyrians. And uh, essentially, Hezekiah in the south watches the northern kingdom be conquered and the people taken away off into captivity. Uh, Since Israel has come into the land, they have uh, done nothing but commit uh, idolatry. I mean, they've had some times of reform, but for the most part, they keep going back into disobedience, and God is now beginning to conquer them. We have said that if Israel o- obeyed uh, the Lord, he would conquer their enemies for them, but if they do not obey the Lord, their God, he will use their enemies to conquer them. And this is what we see beginning to take place on a large scale at this point in Israel's history. But because Hezekiah is faithful to the Lord, and because he listens to the voice of the prophets, God spares the southern kingdom from this impending judgment during his reign. And this brings us to our story. Hezekiah is spared from the judgment of the Assyrians, but nevertheless, he is not spared altogether from tribulation and from distress and from sickness. But he holds fast to the Lord during these times and God delivers him. Now we too are those who God has spared from certain destruction, from the final judgment, but nevertheless, this does not make us exempt from tribulation and distress. You see that? Even though we're Christians and we live righteous lives before God, We're not spared from distress. We're not spared from the troubles of this life. And sadly enough, we often give up when the going gets tough, forgetting that God is absolutely in control of time and everything that takes place within. So in our text today, we learn some ways that we can combat this tendency from King Hezekiah. So if you would, starting with me back in verse 1, We see, in those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die. 
you shall not recover. The first thing that we notice about uh, Hezekiah's sickness is that it happens during the time that he is experiencing great opposition from the Assyrians. Uh, The writer says, in those days. Well, in what days? In the days that I just mentioned in my introduction. Uh, For those who are mathematical scholars out there, uh, maybe you can follow along and help uh, me with this equation. But in 18.2, if you look back there, you don't have to go now, but we're told in 18.2 that Hezekiah reigned for 29 years. So Hezekiah's reign lasts 29 years. And in our passage, in verse 6, we're told that God extends his life for 15 years. So if we subtract 29 from 15, what do we get? 14. uh, Which would bring us to the 14th year of Hezekiah's reign, which is exactly when the Assyrians come up to attack his kingdom. 18 verse 13 tells us, In the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. So not only is this man's kingdom under siege, but he contracts a deadly sickness on top of it, just to add insult to industry um, injury. And if you were Hezekiah, you might be feeling rather despondent right about now, and just when you're thinking things can't get any worse, here comes Isaiah the prophet with the word from the Lord, that says he is to set his house in order because he is going to die. My goodness, this man is surrounded on all sides by the enemy. He contracts a deadly sickness, and then even God tells him that he's going to die. Now, if you were Hezekiah, what would you have done? I would venture to say that uh, many of us would have thrown in the towel and given up at this point. But what does the text say Hezekiah does? The text says, Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed. Look at verse 2. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, In the midst of certain death, the man turned and prayed. I mean, I don't know if anybody else could be more certain that they were going to die than this man was. Do you know of anybody who ever was? He's surrounded by the enemy. He's contracted a deadly sickness, and God tells him that he is going to die. And yet the Bible says he turned and prayed. But why pray? Does Hezekiah believe something about prayer that that you and I do not? Is Hezekiah actually going to change the mind of God with his prayer? No, God is not fickle. He is not like a man. He does not change his mind. But I think Hezekiah teaches us something about prayer here that we often miss. Our prayers are not used to change the mind of God. Our prayers are used to change the mind of man. This is to say that God uses our prayers to change us. When we pray, we reorient ourselves so that we might think properly. We begin to think the way that God thinks when we pray, since we are to pray in accordance with His will. And Hezekiah understands that God's will will be carried out regardless. So if God ultimately wills for him to live, he will live despite the fact that he's facing certain death. 
The question becomes, why then does God say that he is going to die? Well, God often does this thing, this sort of thing throughout Scripture to shake men up, to sort of bring them into perspective, bring things into perspective so that they can focus on what really matters. And it's no different here. God is determined to preserve Hezekiah from the very beginning. And it is through the prayers of Hezekiah that God has determined to do it. You got that? God is determined to do this thing from the very beginning, and he is using Hezekiah's prayers to do it. Hezekiah is compelled to pray for longer life, and God extends his life by 15 years as a result. So to accomplish his ends, God coerced Hezekiah into prayer with the threat of death. Okay, let's look now briefly at this prayer. I mean, what kind of prayer does he pray? Look at verse 3. Now, O Lord, please remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Does that prayer seem a bit audacious to you? I mean, here God has just told the man that he is going to die and he is reminding him of how he has lived this righteous life in his sight. Again, I think Hezekiah teaches us something about uh, prayer here and the nature of God. Uh, This is what holy men do again and again throughout Scripture. Uh, They remind God of the righteous lives that they have lived when they get into a bind in order to get God to deliver them. Why? Because God listens to the righteous. The Bible says that the eyes of God are towards the righteous. He's looking at uh, the righteous. And that we receive what we ask of Him because we obey His commandments. You see? So it makes a difference, the lives that we live before God. So when we remind God and this is covenantal language, of the righteous lives that we have lived, he remembers and he acts. God says, if you obey my commandments, I will bless you. And if you disobey my commandments, I will curse you. So Hezekiah is reminding God of those very things. Um, Moreover, the text says that he wept bitterly. He wept bitterly. So what does this tell us about the nature of Hezekiah's prayer? This wasn't just some sort of indifferent prayer that he prayed in passing. This was a passionate prayer that he prayed. He was engaged. He was invested when he prayed this prayer. He poured out his heart to God when he prayed this prayer. And look at how God responds. In verse 4 we read, And before Isaiah had gone out of the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him, Turn back and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I've heard your prayer, I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. On the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord. Before Isaiah had even gotten out of the courtyard of the king's palace, the word of the Lord uh, comes to him and tells him to turn back. God is pulling a great reversal here. He is changing the course of events, and even Isaiah has to turn around at this 
point. Everything is turning around. God says, I have heard your prayer and I have seen your tears. God heard and saw and as a result, He acted. Moreover, not only does God heal Hezekiah, but He adds 15 years to his life, which is interesting. Uh, God uses Hezekiah's prayer to preserve his life But not only that, God is working something else out here too. He uses Hezekiah's prayer to preserve his life and to accomplish his will. Remember, God had determined long ago that he, that David would not lack a man to sit on his throne. God made promises to David that said one of his sons would sit on his throne and reign forever and ever. And God has been continuing to keep that promise to the family of David by preserving the throne in the city of Jerusalem for one of David's descendants to sit on. And at this point in history, Hezekiah is that man. God is giving Hezekiah 15 more years so that he can accomplish his will through him in Jerusalem. He says, I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Finally, in verses 8 through 11, we see that Hezekiah wants a sign from the Lord that he is going to do all of this. In verse 8, we read, And Hezekiah said to Isaiah, What shall be the sign that the Lord will heal me, and that I shall go up to the house of the Lord on the third day? And Isaiah said, This shall be the sign to you from the Lord that the Lord will do the thing that he's promised. Shall the shadow go forward ten steps or go back ten steps? And Hezekiah answered, It's an easy thing for the shadow to lengthen ten steps. Rather, let the shadow go back ten steps. And Isaiah the prophet called to the Lord, and he brought the shadow back ten steps by which it had gone down on the steps of Ahaz. So what is this business about the shadow uh, moving forward and backward here in this text? Well, it seems to be in reference to some sort of a sundial or a time keeping device that would have been strategically placed and set up so that the shadow uh, from the sun would fall in a particular place. In this case, it is on the steps of Ahaz. And depending on where that shadow was on the steps, the Israelites would be able to tell what time it was. This is a time-keeping device. So the Israelites could tell what time it was depending on where that shadow was. And so Hezekiah, excuse me, so Isaiah essentially asked Hezekiah, if he wants the shadow uh, to go forward or backwards. That is, do you want time to go forward or backwards? And Hezekiah says it's an easy thing for the shadow to go forward because it would naturally move forward as the sun moved throughout the sky. That shadow would advance on the steps. But for it to go backward, it would require a complete undoing and reversal of the natural order of events, which is exactly what God does here. Again, God is reversing all things in this text. God causes the shadow to move backwards, signifying the fact that he's giving more time to Hezekiah. God is the Lord of time, as Timothy Brindle says. I like that phrase. God's the Lord of time, and he does with it as he wills. This miracle shows us that God is absolutely in control of time. He determines what happens in time 
and in history. He creates time, and he acts in time, and he works within time to accomplish his will. Time is in his hands. God gives time, and he takes it. And we are time-bound creatures, so we must abide by it. So, with this miracle... um, Excuse me, in our story we see that God is essentially winding up the clock for Hezekiah. He's giving him more time uh, to live, as it were. And friends, has God not done the same thing for each one of us? In the story, God turned back the clock for Hezekiah, as it were, and he saved him from certain death. But has not God turned back the clock for each one of us? Has God pulled a great reversal in our lives? Has He reversed the course of events and saved us from certain destruction? Friends, on the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, God has done the great reversal. There on the cross, Christ wiped out our sin debt completely. And He absolved us of every sin that we would ever commit, past, present, future, and for all of eternity. He literally changed the course of time for sinners like you and me forever. So we're in the same boat as Hezekiah. Now, what are some of the things that we can learn from the story of Hezekiah? Well, Hezekiah was a true blue believer like you and me, but nevertheless, Hezekiah still experienced great opposition in his life. And it was during those times that he had to cling all the more closer to the Lord to get by. Have you ever felt as if your back was against the wall? As if you are being surrounded on all sides and like it's just one thing after the other, after the other, after the other? I mean, remember Hezekiah contracts this deadly sickness. The enemy is at the gates, and God tells him that he is going to die. It seemed like Hezekiah's time was up, but nevertheless, he leaned in and prayed and persevered and trusted in the Lord to do what was right. Have you ever felt like you were being hit from all sides? How many in here have had this experience where it just seems like everything comes crashing down at once, right? You lose your job, and you're down and out. And then you hear that one of your close family members dies. And then you go to the funeral, and on the way back from the funeral, you total your car, this sort of thing. Friends, these experiences are common to us all, and if it hasn't happened to you yet, it is coming. It will. And you say, well, but I live an obedient and faithful life. Well, so did Hezekiah. So did Hezekiah. And it's during these times that we need to remember that none of these things happen to us by accident, but they are all part of God's sovereign plan to get us to lean in and look to Him. To lean in and look to Him. You're not supposed to be looking around at your surrounding situation. You're not supposed to be looking at the circumstances but you are to turn to the wall like Hezekiah did here and look to Jesus. But what are some of the things that we do during these times instead of praying and instead of looking to Jesus? 
we try to control the situation, right? We try to get our hands on it. Um, We try to finagle it. We try to figure it all out. We start asking questions. We begin questioning God and we start asking God why. And at this point, we are, we are unbelieving uh, and doubtful. And even though we won't say that we are unbelieving, functionally, we are acting like unbelievers when we do this. We are saying that God is not in control and we are. And what we'll do is we'll try to overanalyze the situation. And then we'll start jumping from conclusion to conclusion. And when, and when we don't um, um, satisfy our desires um, to come up with an answer in all our agonizing, we end up turning to other things instead of God. We turn to the bottle. We turn to an immoral relationship. Um, we turn to something in the world to entertain us. You know, we try to get a hold of something that uh, will keep our mind off of things for a while. Sometimes we try to fix the unfixable. We'll, we'll grab a gun or something like this. And we try to take matters into our own hands. And it's times like this that we need to stop coming unglued. We need to stop floundering about. We need to stop getting ourselves worked up into a tizzy, we need to stop trying to figure it all out, and we need to turn to Jesus. Sometimes we need to just stop and be quiet. We just got to stop and be quiet and get before God and pray and allow Him to reorient us so that we might think rightly about the situation. But we never give ourselves enough time to stop and listen, to be quiet and to pray to turn to the wall, to get into our closet and be alone with the God who is in control of the whole thing. And friends, if we would do that, if we would spend our time with God instead, He would give us peace and He would show us how to deal with our surrounding circumstances. He would even show us how to overcome them and to get the victory over them. Friends, I would venture to say that during these times, God is at work to do many things in our lives, but we miss out on them because we are running around like a chicken with our head cut off or because we outright give up instead of praying and pressing in. I mean, who knows? If we we did, maybe God would give us another 15 years to live. We'd probably live another 15 years if we just didn't stress over these things like we do. And that's the other thing I want to talk about. We saw in our passage that God is the the Lord of time, as Tim Brendel says. He created time, and He controls everything that takes place within time. Now, in our passage, Hezekiah is given an extra 15 years to live. And that is a great blessing to him because he now knows that his days are numbered. Right? Fifteen years, his days are numbered. But I think this is something that we often forget. We read this morning in the Psalms that David wanted God to show him his end. He wanted to know when he was going to die. He wanted to know how many days he had left. Why? So he could live a more faithful life now. 
How would you live differently if you knew you only had so many years left to live? Would that change your perspective on things? Would that make you live differently today? If you knew you only had so many years left to live? Well, friends, I, I hate to break it to you, but your days are numbered. God has already determined the number of days that we would live in time and in history before we were ever even born, Psalm 139, 16. And guess what? You don't have many. Again, the psalmist says, 70 years are given to us. Some even live to 80. But even the best years are filled with pain and trouble. Soon they disappear and we fly away. I like what James says. He says our life is like a vapor. It's like a mist in the air that appears for a moment and then vanishes away. Your 70 or 80 years will be gone like that. Before you know it. Time is precious and what we do with it matters. So how would you live differently if you knew you only had 15 years left to live? The clock is ticking. What are some things that you would invest in? Uh, What are some things that you would try to change in your life? What are some things that you would work on? Perhaps we would be more kingdom-minded. We would have a kingdom perspective. We would love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength more often as He has told us to do so, always. We, maybe we would spend more time serving Him than we do serving ourselves, which we are prone to do. <clears throat> maybe we would focus more on relationships and the people that God brings into our lives. Maybe we would invest more time in, in, in our family members and the people that are around us in our immediate sphere of influence. Maybe we would invest more time in the church. Would you think differently about things like how patient you are with people and about the anger outbursts that you have? Would you try to get some of these things under control? Would you practice forgiveness? Would you go and try to be reconciled to those people in your life that you know that you have offended? Would you be quicker to give forgiveness when somebody comes to you and asks for it? Would you make sure you told your loved ones that you love them every opportunity that you are given? How about the time that you spend with people that God brings into your lives? You know, sometimes God brings people into our lives just for a time so that so that we can have an opportunity to invest in them, and then He takes them away. He removes them. And sometimes they die. Sometimes we never see them again. How would you think differently about those relationships you have with those people and the time that you spent with them and how you spent it? Would you think more carefully about it? You never know when it will be your last day. You never know when it will be their last day. But what does the world tell you to do if you're given a couple days to live? Well, live it up, right? <laughs> Go rob a bank or something and, and, and blow, blow all the money in Las Vegas. You know, Jump out of a plane. Knock some things off your bucket list. Do some things that are risky, some things that you wouldn't normally do. Eat and get drunk. What does it matter? Tomorrow you're going to die. And we say, no. The way that you spend your time now 
matters for all of eternity. A Christian perspective on uh, the world says, live every day like it's your last in light of eternity. Right? The world says, live every day like it's your last. But we say, live every day like it's your last in light of eternity. I I love what uh, Jonathan Edwards said one time. He said to God in prayer, Lord, stamp eternity on my eyeballs. What was the man saying? He wanted to live like, like everything mattered, like every moment mattered, like every day mattered. Write eternity across my eyeballs. Inscribe it there. Why? So that when he looks, that's all he sees. And we would do well to follow his example. We need to live as though time really matters, making the best of every opportunity that we are given so that on the last day we do not end up regretting the life that we have been living. So in the final analysis, we've seen that just because we are Christians and we live a righteous life, we're not exempt from suffering. We are not exempt from trouble. As a matter of fact, it may seem at times as if we are surrounded on all sides by it. It may seem as if everything is being blown to pieces, but nevertheless, we know that God is the Lord of time and He is in control of everything that happens in time and in space. Moreover, God has numbered our days And we are to make the most of every day living life in light of eternity because we never know when it will be our last. So let us be committed to lean in, to persevere, and to have faith, never giving up until we turn to the wall to pray on that final day and see Jesus face to face. 